Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The Lord speaks to Isaiah, to the people of Israel in Isaiah 5, of this very fertile vineyard that produced wild grapes. Wild grapes are sour, smelly. They're not very good to eat. And as we hear this, we may complain about the incompetent gardener. We could say, maybe the gardener didn't know what he was doing, and that was the problem. But listen to the care he takes with the vineyard. Clearing it out and tilling it just right. Picking the best vines. The watchtower in the midst of it to protect it from all harm. The walls and the hedges to protect it from animals. He even prepares, in advance of the harvest, he prepares a wine vat to crush the grapes after this bountiful harvest to make wine. Everything is ready for this spectacular harvest, and it comes time and it yields sour, wild grapes. Now, it'd be easy to think this is sometimes like with life. How many of you have worked really, really hard at something and then it didn't turn out quite right? Right, probably all of us in some way. And why didn't God bless that? And we can ask those questions. But that's not the point here. We aren't the farmer. We are the grapes. You and I are the wild, sour grapes. And even when the farmer, the father cared so much for us, worked so hard for us, gave so much to us. Everything we have is his. Even when that all happened, we still turned out sour. God desired justice, the rightful treating of people, but instead he received bloodshed, hatred, and anger, cursing and destroying those who are made in the very image of God instead of showing them the respect and the dignity they deserve as God's sons and daughters. God desired righteousness, a moral uprightness, but instead he received an outcry, a complaining. Just like the children of Israel in the desert after they escaped from the slavery of Egypt, and they're saying to God, you haven't done enough for us. I need more. I want more. I deserve more. Maybe that sounds like our own lives. No matter how hard God has worked on us in our hearts, it seems like we don't treat people with justice, but rather we can use people for our own gain. We don't treat people and live with this moral uprightness, but we always complain about what we don't have and how I'm not like that person. I'm not the farmer. I'm not a good grape. I'm not a sweet grape. You and I are wild grapes. And if you listen to Isaiah 5, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of hope for those grapes. They get thrown out. They get destroyed. 
Why? Because what do wild grapes yield? More wild grapes. And how often that plays out in our own lives. The, 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 the sourness in our lives just yields more of the same. I mean, honestly, which of you think that the grape should just will itself to be sweet? If the grape just tries a little harder, it can become a sweet grape. Maybe if we give the grape a therapist, the therapist can help it work through its problems and it becomes a good grape. If any of you went to a vineyard owner and told him that, he would think you're crazy. It's the same thing with our faith. It's crazy for us to think that if we just try a little harder, we can improve our lot or we can improve our relationship with God. I just have to dedicate myself more. No. I think a lot of us want to get to a point where we can say, thank you, God, you've done enough for me. I'm pretty good on my own. Now go, go bother those people that really need help. But we don't get there. We try to dedicate ourselves to compassion. We, we care. We serve. We, we donate money to worthy causes. We, we even buy meals for the homeless. Or maybe I dedicate myself to some good leadership principles so I can lead others with, with strength. I can face adversity with courage. I can command respect and become a servant leader that others desire. Or maybe I dedicate myself to purity. I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to turn away from all the worldly things that I find pleasure in and, and just become some stoic. And I just work harder. Figure it out. It doesn't work that way. Our minds tell us it works that way. We like to think it works that way. We like to take responsibility for our actions, but it doesn't work that way. We evaluate, we reevaluate, we ask, what did I do wrong? Where can I improve? Next time I'll get it, but we never do. Until we become discouraged and despondent and we just give up. I can't do it, you can't do it, so let's just, let's just quit. Now, many of us have bought into that lie. And I, and I think why we struggle so much is it's hard for us. It's hard to admit in a culture that from day one said you can do and be anything you want to be. It's hard for us to admit that we can't. It's hard for us to admit we're failing. We've let people down, those we care about, those we love. And so we put up these masks so others don't see us, right? If I put a new skin on a sour grape, guess what? Still sour. And we try to live that way. The most important thing is salvation, is eternal life with God. And the one thing we can't do by ourselves is save ourselves. We can't. We are wild grapes. But what we heard in the gospel today is that the Father, who is the vine caretaker, never gives up on his grapes. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. And the Father knows this. He knows that the health of the fruit is his responsibility. Right? The grape can't will itself to sweetness. The vine grower has to care for it even more. And so the Father gives even more of himself to us by sending his Son, the vine, the divine life, to us to receive that. He says, Jesus goes on, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me you can do nothing. We constantly fail to produce good fruit on our own. So God doesn't call us to try harder. He says, I'm going to bind you 
to the divine life source, to Jesus himself, the true vine, so that you bear fruit. The pastor, as he prepares the elements, the bread and the wine, he he pours water in the chalice and he says a prayer. He says, with the mixing of water and wine, as you shared in our humanity, Jesus, as you shared in our humanity, may we so share in your divinity. He pours out his divine life into us, his sons and daughters. It's not about trying harder. It's about receiving immortality from Christ himself. Through his body and blood, we are united to Jesus in a way like nothing else in this world. It's a submission. It's not crying out, I'm, I'm not disappointing you anymore, God. I'm not going to disappoint you. Yes, you will. We all do. It's not about that. It's about saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Here I am. Take me. Let me receive from you. Jesus calls us to this word, abide. Abide with me. We sing that song, abide with me during Lent. Abide. Abide is a weird old word we don't use that much, but it means to remain in a fixed state. Remain in a fixed state. It's a great way to think of vines and branches, isn't it? A vine and a branch uh, should remain in a fixed state. If it's not in a fixed state, it's severed, it's cut off, it's dead. It's not receiving any life. It's fit to be burned. And that's supposed to be our life in Christ. We're supposed to remain bound to him. Not, not come together once in a while and then depart. We're supposed to remain bound to him, abide with him all the time. Our relationship with Jesus should not be like Velcro. Jesus, I need you. Okay, I'm done. Oh, I need you. It should not be like that. We're united. We abide with him. We remain fixed to him. And how do we do that? By, it's, it's the third commandment, keeping the Sabbath day holy. And Luther says keeping the Sabbath day holy simply means remaining and not despising the word, but actively searching out to hear the word and receive the gifts of God. When we don't hear his word, when we despise his word by not coming to hear his word and receive his gifts, we're willfully cutting ourselves off from divine life. I've been asked before, Pastor, how often should I go to church? Uh, always? Oh my goodness. Why are we treating our faith as if it's like a college course that we just have to pass? What will it take? D is for diploma, right? Worst advice ever. Students, do not listen to that advice. Horrible advice. Why are we treating our faith as if it's some pass-fail thing? My question, do you, do you wish to bear fruit or not? Jesus said, just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. How do we expect to bear fruit for Jesus if we willfully remove ourselves from the communion with him and communion with each other in this very place? Jesus says, he says, the Father will take away every branch of me that does not bear fruit. Oh, and everyone that does bear fruit. He prunes, so it bears more fruit. So it seems like the life of the Christian or the life of any human is pretty well set out. You either are cut off or you're pruned. My brother was once asked by my mother to trim and uh, prune the peony bushes. My mother had these peony bushes for years. She worked to make them all spherical and stuff. Um, I don't do gardening. So Paul took the clippers and he went to work. And when my mom came home that night uh, from work, she was furious. See, no one, 
had explained to Paul that prune the bush meant to cut right under the tops of the flowers that had done their beautiful thing and now had died and fall was coming. So Paul just, he just like cut them off at the ground. All four of them. He was supposed to prune, he ended up demolishing. So we took those, we bound them up, and we threw them in a fire, quite literally. Um, So which one describes your relationship with Jesus? Pruned or just... I find it interesting. They both require the same tool, don't they? They both require a clipper. It just matters where you clip. It's the reality of it. One cuts off to destroy everything, to kill. The other cuts back so that it may bear more life. I love what the Lord says in Deuteronomy 30. He says, today I sit before you life and death. Choose life. Today he sets before you being cut off or being pruned. Choose pruning. Pruning is good. And how often pruning is, is where Christ takes out the, the, the impurities of our lives, the sin, the, the, the darkness, and he cuts that back so fruit can come forth. And how many times in our lives we rather just be chopped off than have to be honest about what needs to be pruned, what needs to be cut out. The Greek actually plays on this. The word for cut off here is arrow. and has a sense of lifting up or carrying away. In, in the Greek, it's really interesting because this is also used in John 1. John uses it again early in, the, in his book. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. It's the same word there, takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus, either we are cut off from him or he cuts us off from our sin. It's pretty, pretty intense imagery. It's not like the sin kind of is washed away. It's, it's severed. It no longer remains. And the word for prune, kathero, is, it's only used this one time in the entire New Testament, but its root word is typically used by John three other times to talk about this removal of spiritual impurity. That's what pruning is. It's removing that darkness, the sin, the stain in our lives. To cut that back so we can bear more fruit for his glory to look more like him, to be conformed to the image of the Son. Do we abide with him or are we cut off from him? And if we abide, pruning is required and that requires clippers and sometimes that hurts. It hurts. But from those pains, and maybe you've seen this before in your own life, as you've been honest with pain and you've offered that to the Lord, he's brought out a beautiful thing. He's God. He's the gardener. He does that all the time. So do you trust God to come into your life with clippers? It's scary. It's intimidating. But here's the good news. He's a much better gardener than my brother. And than any of us. He made the Garden of Eden. He knows what he's doing. Will we abide with him and let him prune it out? John, John loves this garden imagery. He loves it. This is how he tells the resurrection account. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at his head and one at his feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around. And saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
supposing him to be the gardener. Love that. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary wasn't wrong. He is a gardener. He's not the one she thought. He's not the one who cuts bushes or prunes plants. He prunes our lives. He prunes our very hearts. And he calls us, his children, by name with the same tender mercy, love, and compassion he called out to Mary that resurrection morning. Will we abide with him to seek life from him? Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 27. He brings together this image of the vineyard the vineyard that was set to be demolished. Listen to what he says. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle, I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. That's our call, brothers and sisters. Hear how he cares. Hear how he loves. Hear how he connects you to the vine so that the whole world may see his fruit. We bear fruit. The Lord is a faithful gardener. He connects us to this true vine of everlasting life. And he's pruning out things in our lives so that we can be a song of his glory into this world, a poem of his love for us, his children. Let us pray. Lord, prune us so that we may fill the world with your good fruit and be a proclamation of your Son who rose from the dead. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand.